and uh, it would be incomplete without that, in my view. I was just doing some <clears throat> walking meditation before coming up here. And I've done a lot of walking meditation in this place, especially I, I like to walk in the dining room or outside, but I've logged a lot of miles in the dining room here. <laughs> and I was just struck, I was thinking as I was doing that. And those of you who've been around me at all know that I, I'm a big fan of walking meditation. But I was just struck by the um, the. You know, it's incredible to me that this place exists. It was designed, created, built for this purpose of, of providing a place to do intensive silent retreat, long-term retreat, and uh, you know you can walk up and down slowly and it's okay with everybody <laughs> you know you can you can act in it. you know it's, what we do here would look weird <laughs> in other in other places other situations you know and you know there's this this uh, intentionality around the conception and the and the building of this place and then the intention in our own hearts and minds when we come here and it, it's expressed and felt and related to in different ways, but, but there's a commonality there that is, in my view at least, uh, powerful and beautiful and a fine thing to, to bring into the world. And so my appreciation for this place also then extends to all of you who would choose to come and spend time here. I think probably all of you are familiar with the uh, Satipatthana Sutta. Has anyone in this room never heard of the Satipatthana Sutta? It's possible. It's um, a very highly revered teaching of the Buddha and uh, is is probably the most comprehensive set of meditation instructions that we would find in the entire Pali Canon. It really is. it's very um, complete instructions for inside meditation for practicing vipassana. The word satipatthana, we usually translate that as the foundations, the four foundations of mindfulness. But the word satipatthana is a compound word as so many Pali words are. Sati is the word for mindfulness. And upatana, when it's joined with, uh, means literally something like um, uh, establishment. And so the literal translation, closer, I think, to the, the original uh, sense of this is establishments of mindfulness. And I prefer that translation because in my mind, it has this... Um, emphasis through that, this, this sense of establishing mindfulness, this sense of emphasizing the, the quality of the awareness, this establishing of mindfulness, uh, greater emphasis on that than on, on any particular object of the meditation. It points to the fact that um, that, that it's this awareness, this mindful awareness that's the key and, and that uh, anything that arises in, our, in the flow of our experience is a suitable object for our meditation. It's a potential vehicle for insight to arise. And I think this is, this is uh, really an important understanding Essential, really, because it it cuts through our our tendency to judge certain experiences being bad or wrong or somehow 
something that shouldn't be happening or getting in the way. With this practice, there is this implicit understanding that if it is in the way, it is the way. Nothing is in the way inherently. This does not mean that some things are difficult to be with. They are. But for the purposes of this practice, anything that arises in our experience in this flow of mind and body that we bring awareness to is a suitable object and and a vehicle for understanding. And this is great because it relieves us of the need to control our experience. From the meditative perspective, it's all equal so that we don't have to have it be a particular way because what we're turning towards and tuning to are what we would uh, think of as the universal or common characteristics that apply to all things, whether we like them or we don't, whether they're fine and light and easeful or coarse and gross and difficult. We're interested in what's common what applies to all of these experiences. And it's so, it's so challenging for us, I think, to, to really deeply hmm, maybe learn or, or actually persuade ourselves <laughs> of the view that it, it, it's not about having certain experiences. We're very focused on the experiences we have in meditation so much of the time. And, and certainly we have our preferences. This isn't to deny that we don't have, that we have, don't have preferences. We do. But our, our practice isn't about having certain kinds of experiences. It never is. It can't be. If our experiences, if our meditation is oriented around experiences or certain kinds of sublime, beautiful states, which we may at times experience, and they're great. They, they can serve to um, bolster our faith and our sense that something's going on, that the practice is, is working in some way. They may have that function. It can be delightful to open to states of deep calm or ease deep equanimity and so forth. But if, if our practice is about states, then, then we're never going to find a true freedom because the states don't last. They're conditioned. And when they change, then, then where are we? What are we left with then? If we're, if we're oriented around a particular state or experience, because conditions are always changing. And, and so true freedom isn't about that or gaining some kind of control so that things are a particular way or the way we want them to be or the way we think they should be. So then what are we doing here? We're not trying to gain this kind of control. or We're actually coming into alignment or harmony with the way things actually are. We're not here to get something we don't have or to go somewhere other than where we are right now. We're not going from A to B. We're going deeper into A, you could say. We're going deeper into this reality right now in this moment. It's really this exploration of the truth of things, the way things are, nature, you could say. And so in this teaching in the Satipatthana Sutta, just quite lengthy and goes through all these different uh, ways to approach practice in these four frames of reference or these four spheres of, of attention. It, it breaks down everything, the entirety of our experience. There's nothing that doesn't fall into 
one of these four satipatthanas, these four establishes of mindfulness. And so the nothing's left out. It's, it's, if something was left out, then the practice would always be incomplete. It includes everything. So we direct uh, in this way to uh, mindfulness of the body, of material form, of uh, feeling tone, vedana, of the mind, the qualities of the mind, the mind affected by certain energies and by certain patterns or um, ways that we can see experience in terms of of Dhamma understandings, uh, the Four Noble Truths, the factors of awakening, the sense bases and the objects of uh, consciousness and so forth, these different ways we can see experience in terms of, of the teachings of Dhamma. And mostly we don't direct our attention. It sounds like sometimes that we're supposed to be doing this. Um, I gotta do the second foundation or I have to remember them. I'm a good Buddhist or whatever, but but if we're paying attention, we're this is what we're what we're paying attention to. What's this the natural flow through these these four satipatthanas? And yes, sometimes we may choose to highlight one, or they may present themselves to us. That does happen, and there might be a time when that's appropriate to have a more directed relationship to these things. But since they encompass the entirety of our life, we're always exploring them. And if we, if we look, we'll see, oh, it's this shifting between them. We're mindful of the body. We have a sensation there. There's the feeling tone, pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. We see the mind's uh, response to that. We might notice a hindrance arising in relation, aversion. Okay, that's all four of them right there, just in that. So they're always there. The Buddha praised the first foundation in one sutta called the Kayagata Sati Vaga. It's in the Anguttara Nikaya. It's, it's, I love this word. Uh, I love the way Bhikkhu Analayo says it. I don't know if any of you have heard him. He says, Kaya Gata Sati. He says it. He has this kind of romantic way. <laughs> Kaya Gata Sati. Kaya means body. Gata means gone, like Tathagata, the one thus gone. And Sati, mindfulness. Body gone, mindfulness. Mindfulness gone to the body. even as one who encompasses with their mind the mighty ocean, includes thereby all the rivulets that run into the ocean. Just so, just so, O bhikkhus, whoever develops and cultivates mindfulness directed to the body, includes thereby all the wholesome states that partake of supreme knowledge. One thing, O bhikkhus, O practitioners, if developed and cultivated, leads to mindfulness and clear comprehension. What is that one thing? It is mindfulness directed to the body. One thing, oh practitioners, if developed and cultivated, leads to the realization of the fruit of knowledge and liberation. What is that one thing? It is mindfulness directed to the body. And in another place, this famous statement that is often quoted, I declare that within this fathom-long body, with its perceptions and mind, there is the world, the origin of the world, the cessation of the world, and the path leading to the cessation of the world. Another way of languaging uh, the Four Noble Truths. It's there within this fathom-long body, the entirety of that understanding, the entire thrust of his teaching found there. The, the completeness of this. The fullness of it. So this, this teaching, this 
section of the Satipatthana Sutta begins with mindfulness of breathing. Simply knowing that one is breathing. Mindful one breathes in. Mindful one breathes out. Breathing in long, one knows I breathe in long. Breathing out long, one knows I breathe out long. Also, breathing in short, breathing out short. So one knows uh, the, the, the quality of the breath in this, in this way, drawing a little closer there. One breathes in, experiencing the whole body, which we could see in a couple of ways. We could see it as the whole body of a breath, the beginning, middle, ending of the in-breath, beginning, middle, ending of the out-breath. So the, the whole body of a breath. Or we could see that as the breath within the whole body. Either of those is useful. And then suggest using the breath with this intentionality to calm Bring calm, breathing in, calm the body, breathing out, calming the body. Then going through all the different postures, walking, standing, sitting, reclining. I add in-betweening as a fifth posture. It it somehow got left out of the translation, but it's an important one. (laughs) Sometimes we're between those, also important. The Venerable Ananda was, full, was awakened fully, moving between standing and reclining. So pay attention this evening when you go to bed. And then all the different activities, going forward, coming back, looking ahead, looking behind, looking away, flexing and extending the limbs, wearing, wearing clothing, carrying things, eating, drinking, Tasting, defecating, urinating, going to sleep, waking up, talking, remaining silent. So all these these just activities that make up a life. It's all included there in body. We we regard the body in terms of its anatomical parts. And traditionally, uh, there were said to be 32 parts of the body that one contemplating, beginning with hair of the body, hair of the head, nails, teeth, skin, the organs, the fluids within the body. So seeing this, this aspect of body, seeing the body in terms of, of what are called the four great elements. You could say it's um, textural manifestation, perhaps. Earth, water, fire, and air. I'll say more about that. Contemplating the body in terms of its nature to decay. We don't have an opportunity to go sit uh, in a place where there are rotting corpses around. Uh, Hard to find that. But it was a practice at the time of the Buddha. There were charnel grounds. and this, This sense of, oh, my body, this body, is of the same nature. Someone once sent me this very cool uh, time-lapse video of an animal uh, that had died. It was a, a dog or a fox or a coyote or some, some dog-like animal. And they had, it was a speeded up uh, you know, over two or three weeks. I don't know how long it took. In just a couple of minutes, uh, went from a recognizable body. It was a, a fresh corpse through all these amazing changes, swelling and, and breaking apart and filled with uh, the maggots and, and things that eat the feed on it and um, changing. And um, by the end of it, there was soil there and plants coming up through there, through the place where, where this body had been. It's very, it was beautiful in its way. We don't often think of looking at a decaying corpse as a beautiful thing. But, but the, the naturalness of it, the, the, uh, the rightness of it, you could say, and, and bringing to mind, ah, this body also of this same nature. And finally, there is the, the, the end of this section. At, at the end of all 
of the, at least the first three uh, satipatthanas, there's this um, one knows simply that there is a body. Mindfulness established to the extent necessary for continuous mindfulness, knowing that there is a body. So that that's always possible. <laughs> like saying those words in the mind sometimes can be a great framing for our practice. Oh, there is a body. So I want to spend a little time going to, to a little more depth with this this body in terms of these four great elements, which may seem kind of basic to many of us. We've heard it before, but I think it's worth worth some time, worth a bit of review. And the words earth, air, fire, and water sound kind of outdated or antiquated or, or sort of alchemical or something like that. We don't, we don't think about, about material form in those ways so much. You know, we, we analyze it in, in so many different ways. And so, so for this to make any kind of sense, we have to look at our direct experience of the body. You know, it's not, it's not an intellectual exercise, but it's this sense of um, actually seeing what, what is the direct experience of the body. You could say the, mm, yeah, the direct experiential, sensate feeling there. So these elements, earth, patavi datu, datu is element, patavi, earth element, has manifest in terms of uh, qualities of solidity and of hardness and softness and range of textures, roughness and smoothness. Water, apodatu, has the properties of um, fluidity. When we feel a tear or water running across the body, if we take a shower or stand in the rain or feel sweat or urine moving. And it also has this property of cohesion, this gluing glues things together. Like if we take flour, dry flour or dust and mix water in there, it becomes uh, cohered, glued together. We get uh, something that's held together. And these bodies are are a high percentage of, of water within this these bodies. It's it's a range in newborn infants it's it's gets close to eighty percent. And then we dry out as we get older. And when we're above 55 or 60 or down, closer to 50 or 55%. If you took the water out of, out of, out of my body sitting up here, there'd just be a, a pile of dry bits there. You could then cohere it back together with more water, but it would have, have a different form, right? mold it into a ball and, and roll it out of the hall and roll it out. In fact, if this happens to me this evening, while during the talk, I'd, there's, a, there's some water here in this. It's probably not enough in the cup, but you could get some more and yeah, mush it together and, and just roll it out the, the door there and into the meadow. That would be a good use of those, those pieces. Fire sounds like like heat only, but it's the range of temperature from uh, cold to heat, warmth and coolness. And then air or wind, fire is tejo datu, wind is vayo datu. It, it has uh, its, its characteristics of movement and pressure and vibration. And, you know, we can feel that when the belly, as, as the belly expands, when the Breath moves in and out of the water and the chest. You can think of it like a balloon, the pressure there. If you blow up a balloon, there's a sense of pressure. 
and movement. So we could do a, a short period of, of meditation here, kind of investigating these. So if we if we sit quietly, you can close your eyes or not if you wish, and let the attention rest within the body. Some of the the touch points, the feet on the floor or some other part of the body resting on your cushion, you might notice some pressure there, perhaps hardness. You gently touch the teeth together in the mouth. Feel that hardness or run the tongue along the surfaces of the teeth. Notice roughness or some parts maybe smoothness. If with the attention in the mouth, you might notice the water element there <coughs> and the saliva in the mouth or perhaps in the eyes. You could gently moisten your lips with the tongue and squeeze the lips together for a moment. When you pull them apart, there could be a feeling of a kind of stickiness there, that cohesion aspect of the water element, and that stickiness. You might notice some part of the body, perhaps where the hands are touching or for me, right now in the area of my face, there's a feeling of warmth. I notice warmth or coolness, perhaps coolness where the skin is bare, warmth where clothing is, is more thick, thickly layered on the body, or where the hands are touching. And the movement of the breath. Expanding, contracting, rising, falling of the abdomen. Pressure, movement, tension. Or perhaps subtle vibration in the hands or some other part of the body. So this, this level of the direct sensate experience there of body is is on a level uh, below, you could say, the the level of concepts and and these ideas about the body and these senses of the body, the parts of it there. You know, so much of the time <clears throat> we tend to see the body as an object. We objectify the body as a thing we move around or we ride around in or we we do stuff with it. And the words body consciousness so often have this focusing of our attention on uh, this external image, this appearance and, and something that we we create an image with it. And there's this huge industry in terms of fashion and the clothes we we choose and all of the cosmetics and different things we apply and, and do to the body to try to make it look a certain way. But in meditation, we're interested in a kind of body consciousness that is this subjective awareness from within the body, from within the body, this, this habit of objectifying the body is, is so strong and has a tendency to you know, separate the body from the rest of nature, you could say. And, and it, it turns into something that's very personal. Take it very personally. You know, what you might notice when you, when you get up, I don't know how it is for you, are there mirrors in your rooms? I think there may be mirrors there. <laughs> Maybe there aren't. 
But often we have a mirror at home or something. We get up, go into the bathroom, stumble in there, <laughs> look in the mirror, you know. We see all these parts and they're not not quite what we hoped they might look like, you know. For me especially, you know, getting a little older here and getting in the morning I have to kind of move my face back over to the middle. It's all gotten mushed off to one side and my hair is like a wave breaking. What little hair I have, it's like a wave breaking off to one side <laughs> to kind of rearrange it, put water on it and stuff to kind of get it to tighten back up. <laughs> Look halfway reasonable, <laughs> you know. And there's all these thoughts about it, and you know, it's not right, or it is right. We use it to bolster our ego, or to uh, feel okay, or to beat ourselves up because there's something wrong with it. It's flawed. It's not good enough. It's too thick. It's too thin. It's too wrinkly, or whatever. You know, and all these images of what, what bodies are supposed to be, this, these images of perfection that don't actually exist. <laughs> supposed to somehow measure up to that. And, and it disconnects us from, from nature, as I was saying. It, it sets us up in this comparing, disconnects us from others because there's this comparing, that one's better than mine, this one's worse than mine. Disconnects us from our own inner vitality and sense of aliveness, I think, often. But this awareness of the body from within the body has, ultimately, I think it has the opposite kind of an effect. It, if we really become truly embodied, which meditation can be a doorway into, it can be so deeply healing. And as we begin to really plumb the depths of our experience of body from within the body, this direct experience, we start to see that it's, it's this flow of processes. The thingness of it, the objectness of it, diminishes in our direct experience. And and we see that it's actually infused with awareness and a kind of innate intelligence. So this direct non-conceptual experience of the body reveals this flow of changing sensations. Body is process, not a thing. It's this dance of these elements that we that have been talking about and we just explored briefly. We can't actually experience arm, head, hand, leg, foot. That's a concept, a useful one. But our experience is not, a direct experience isn't hand. It's lightness, vibration, coolness, movement. And it's not that the conventional world doesn't exist. You know, I'm here and there's very clearly a body with parts and I can see all of yours out there. And it's not that that's not real, but it's not the whole story. And, and we have bodies and they need our care and love and they need to be fed and kept clean and and treated well, treated with respect and kindness. So it's not that we, this practice leads to the rejection of all body image, but it's more the sense of this flexibility to move between what we might see as a useful or appropriate body image, which at times is, is important, and the, this openness of this non-conceptual direct experience of the body. So we move between these things. We discover this uh, kind of graceful, fluid way to hold both of these as equally real.
and this this practice and, and this experience of mindfully attending to the body and and this kind of radical intimacy that results from this reveals a kind of there's a kind of what i think of as a as a sort of dependability there and it's not a it doesn't mean that the body is exempt from change or that we might not at times feel as though it's it's letting us down or even maybe betrayed by the body we might feel that way at times through sickness or this kind of thing that comes but but there's a reliability a dependability in that the body tells us the truth there's a truthfulness there not our ideas about it <laughs> those are questionable those perceptions are are to be uh, looked at with with care there's a, a teacher, uh, a Buddhist nun named Ajahn Upeka. Well, a little quotation from her. The body doesn't lie. It never lies. The body always tells you the truth about where you are. If you listen to your mind, that's where you go wrong. The body is the best tool you can have because it is always there with you. And each moment you can come back to the body to see where you are and how you feel. That's your support to stay present, to be able to receive life without trying to control it. What is there? It's always there. It's never not there. It's always something we can return to, ground the attention within that experience. And, and its nature is to, it shows us the truth of the way things really are, if we pay attention. It's a direct window into this, this essential nature of things, this universal, these universal characteristics that apply to all things. Body is always telling us the truth about change, for example. On, on subtle ways, on more obvious and gross ways. You know, the body's very straightforward about the truths of aging, sickness, and death. That's it's been really direct and clear about those things. But the mind can come up with all kinds of nonsense about, you know, maybe we don't have to get old. Somehow it's possible to, to keep our youth. We're, we're supposed to be able to, certainly. That's what the, the media tells us. Getting old is seen as an expression of bad taste and personal failure of having blown it somehow. Mind will tell us there's something wrong with us. The body is not going to ever lie to us that way. There's nothing wrong with anybody sitting in this hall. The body talks to us about the truth of change on profound and subtle levels. And this doorway into deep insight through that. This doorway of seeing the changing nature of things. This intimacy with body below the level of concept opens us to the realm of insight. Reveals that that this, what we call body, is this flow of constantly changing sensations, rising and passing. This dynamic flow of natural processes flowing one into the other. It's this, this tumbling on Like 
water flowing over rocks. There's no solidity. Change is it's all that we see there if we get really close to that. These flow, these sensations, they arise and pass, and sometimes we start to see just how quickly they're changing. Times it's so rapid we can't even track it. And any sense of the body in terms of form may fall away at times. It's just this flow, this tumbling on of change, arising, passing, arising, passing. And we see that we couldn't possibly hold on to any of that. We can't hold on to any particular aspect of that, some pleasant sensation or something, anything, to be be a source of satisfaction in, in a lasting way. Pleasant sensations, they don't last. Nothing lasts long enough to be held on to. It's not reliable. This unreliability, this unsatisfactoriness due to the nature of things to change, this dukkha revealed there. And, and we see that it's this flow of cause and effect, this conditioning, one thing conditioning the next thing. It's happening by itself. It's not amenable to our will. We can't say, let it be this way, let it be that way. We don't have that kind of control. It's, it's coreless. There's no center there. It's anatta. And so seeing in this way inclines the mind and heart to release and letting go because it just doesn't make any sense. We, it's nature doing what nature does and we, we let go of grasping onto it this is the, the realm, the terrain, the arena of, of liberating insight, of the insight of insight meditation, touching into these truths of change, of unreliability, of corelessness. We see so directly, oh, it's just nature. Internally, body, externally, these things, these elements, they apply to all material form in the world around us is the same stuff. It's not other than. We tend to, to separate it. It's not. It's just nature. All these seeing these elements, you know, what part of that flow and dance of changing sensations is me or mine? Am I hardness? Am I heat? Coolness? Pressure? It's ridiculous. My hardness my vibration, my pressure. <laughs> you know, when we think of it that way, it doesn't make any sense. Hardness is hardness, whether it's touching the teeth together or feeling the feet or the butt on the chair or feeling stones underfoot when we walk outdoors. Heat is heat, whether internal or external. It's, it's the same for us. It's the same for all material things. It's all nature. We see the way materiality conditions mentality. We start to see exploring the body reveals the, the relationship of nama and rupa, name and form mentality, materiality. We see that flow back and forth. The mind knows, but does not have form. Body has form, but does not know. These two, this constant dance, the way they condition one another. Materiality, contact in the body, and consciousness arising. Eye consciousness, contact with the eyes. Hearing consciousness, sensing consciousness in the body. Contact, it arises. 
rises, passes away. It's not that consciousness is hanging around waiting for something to know. It's, it's conditioned by contact. We can see this. Mindfulness can be so refined that we can see consciousness arise and pass away through contact. We see how, how these things influence and condition one another. When we see the mind conditioning the body, when anger or shame are present in the mind, the body responds to that. And we may notice heat or tension or contraction. When the mind is cooled out and calm, concentrated, the body adjusts and responds. And there may be a sense of, of uh, deep ease or kind of relaxation or release. a lot of energy, interest, or or rapture in the mind. The body then manifests with feelings of lightness or tingling sensations that may run through the body and so forth. Body conditions the mind. When it's too hot or too cold, we'll see the response in the mind, all kinds of thoughts about that, things that should be done about it. They should turn on the heat or open the windows or turn on the air conditioning or I'm going to get a a warmer coat or I need some shorts or whatever. All these things that may come in this conditioning. We might notice intention in the mind and the body moving as a result. See, it's just this flow. Namarupa, namarupa, namarupa. And we see that it's, it's empty of anything enduring or lasting. This deep truth of emptiness. There's nothing at the center there. It's, it's impersonal. It's just this flow of conditions. So we, we come to see through mindfulness of the body. Everything can be revealed through that exploration. The whole of the Dhamma is there. And in terms of this instruction of this in the Satipatthana, the directing this body-gone mindfulness, it's not so much, I think, a, a question of willfully directing our attention to the body, Although we may incline the intention there, but I, I see it more as an invitation. And we're not trying to bring the attention there in order to somehow tease or coax or draw some understanding out of it, but really this invitation to, um, to just connect with and feel into this awareness and, and this understanding that's always there. This deep kind of natural intelligence. We see that it's nature. Someone once said what we're doing with our practice, this practice is we're giving back to nature what we mistakenly appropriated as our own. words to that effect and there's something to me so direct and profound in that simple statement because that's really what we're doing. It's all this unfolding of natural processes so we give it back to nature and mindfulness of the body inclines this. We just give it back and the setting down of this, this weight and burden of having appropriated it as our own. So the beginning and the end of the practice, this, this sense that I said earlier of not going from A to B, but going deeper into A, it's this recognition of what's already here, of the truth of the way it is. Recognizing the reality of things. And there's this letting go, this deep relaxation, this healing 
this release that happens through this. I'd like to to end with a quotation from uh, a great Thai forest master, Venerable Ajahn Mun. He was the teacher of Ajahn Chah and Ajahn Mahabua and and many other uh, highly regarded teachers in the Thai forest tradition. In your investigation of the world, never allow the mind to desert the body. Examine its nature. See the elements that comprise it. See the impermanence, the suffering, the selflessness of the body while sitting, standing, walking, or lying down. When the body's nature is seen fully and lucidly by the heart, the wonders of the world will become clear. In this way, the purity of the mind can shine forth, timeless and delivered. Thank you for your kind attention this evening. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.